This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the Arizona Cardinals site from the USA Today NFL Wire. This is our 316th episode and the final preview opponent preview episode before we bring Seth Cox back on for some regular shows starting next week with our training camp preview. This is our second episode of the week, our sixth episode in the opponent previews, which means we will we will preview our final two non NFC West opponents, the Indianapolis Colts, whom the Cardinals play in Week 16, and the Dallas Cowboys in Week 17. The next opponents that we have in our opponent preview series are the Indianapolis Colts, who will be coming to town for a Christmas night fun battle. Well, this will be the first time the Cardinals have played anyone other than the Cowboys on Christmas. So we get the Indianapolis Colts, a team that we only see once every four years. And to help us get to know the Colts a little bit more, since Cardinals fans don't don't get much of the AFC South, I've got Kevin Hickey, the site editor from ColtsWire.com, our USA Today NFL Wire site, covering the Colts, just like CardsWire covers the Cardinals. Kevin, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on for a bit. Appreciate it, Jess. Thanks for having me on. So... Let's, it's been a while since the Cardinals and Colts met. Uh, the last time was back in 2017. Um, obviously, the Colts have gone through some changes. They, they had Andrew Luck retire. Uh, they went through Jacoby Brissett. Then they had Phillip Rivers, who then retired, and have a new quarterback. But they've been a good team the last couple, especially last year with the addition of Rivers. Tell us about how the Colts' season went last year. Obviously, they they were good what were the highs and the lows the 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 good things and the bad things that came out of last season yeah so it was uh, it was interesting because you know philip rivers wound up being the third starting quarterback for frank reich in his first three years with the colts like you said they had andrew luck in 2018 and then jacoby Brissett in 2019 that experiment kind of kind of failed um they were really hoping to see jacoby Brissett take a step towards being you know even you know, an average quarterback, but um, when Philip Rivers uh, became available in the market, Frank Reich was, he was all over it. You know, that was a guy that they worked together um, with the Chargers from uh, 2014 and 2015. And then uh, Reich took over the offensive coordinator role with the Eagles in 2016. So, um, you know, it went well, it went well. It was a good, it was a good season for them. Uh, they got to the wild card game, almost beat the Buffalo Bills, which would have been a massive upset. Uh, Philip Rivers played really well, uh, you know, even though he was limited in terms of his mobility, uh, his, his intelligence and ability to, you know, move the offense, you know, with his mind. And even though his arm was kind of going a little bit, he was able to make the plays. He was highly accurate. Uh, they were, they were very good, you know, between the twenties and, um, they're hoping that they can get a little bit better in the red zone, but, you know, it was a good overall season. It was, um, you know, they, they didn't win the division, but. They got pretty close. They were there neck and neck with the Titans. You know, they got a couple bad breaks in the second half of the season with COVID and stuff. You know, they lost a couple key players. But, you know, it was it was a good season overall. I think I think they, you know, that roster's really starting to build the foundation, really starting to take the the next steps forward. And they just kind of need to find those those difference makers with 
they're hoping they can do so with Carson Wentz. So, you know, it was a good season. Rivers was, uh, he was, I, I expected him to not be as good as he was. I thought the 2019 season kind of showed a guy that was really, really on the decline, but you know, with a good offensive line, with a good play play caller and Frank Reich, uh, Rivers wound up having a pretty good season. So, you know, it, it was good, but it kind of just showed that they're not there yet. You know, they're a competitive team, but they should not really be considered, you know, with the Kansas City Chiefs, with the, you know, even the Buffalo Bills now, even though they, they stuck, uh, stood neck and neck with them, but they're just, they're a couple pieces away. So that's, that's kind of my takeaway from, from the season. And, and they ended up with the top 10 uh, offense and defense, both in yards and points. And so they were a very consistent unit. Uh, going into last season with Phillip Rivers, I, I, I do some work for sportsbookwire.com. One of our other NFLs, uh, one of our USA Today wire sites, and you know, he did not have the number of touchdown passes as I think he was set for, like the over under. I can't remember this, but you can pencil in almost ink pen, write it in pen every year for Philip Rivers. He's going to start every single game and he's going to throw mm-hmm. for more than four thousand yards. And so it yeah. was. Uh, it, it's in, in the case of like Tom Brady, you look at how he's playing and you're like, he's not as good. And then you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, wait, he was pretty good. <laughs> like the numbers, yeah. the numbers seem to deceive what you see with the eye because as what we saw in 2019 was clearly Philip Rivers is diminishing in skill. But you put you put a running game in place and a, and a very good defense and, and you see what they could do. So that brings us to the off season where perhaps the, the most notable move is, well, Philip Rivers now retires. He goes with his 80,000 children back, back home. <laughs> and that's the, you might be setting the bar low there. <laughs> might be lower than that. And, and I, I, I joke about that, but I'm I'm the oldest of nine kids in my family. Oh, wow. So, I, I mean. You, so, you know what it's like. I, I do. I know exactly what it's like. Yeah. But they, so, and they bring Carson Wentz into the fold. Uh, a guy who was rolling, was arguably going to run away at the MVP before he tore his ACL in that year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Um, but last year looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL just could not like shell, like David Carr, like shell shocked. So he's reunited with Frank Reich. What, what is the feeling in Indy about Carson Wentz after going from having quarterback issues to rivers being more than capable and they get to the playoffs to now go to someone who is at best, like the best case scenario, like right now, you have to consider him a reclamation project. Oh yeah. What what is the what is the what are the thoughts on Carson Wentz and the hope for him? It's pretty split. Not gonna lie. Just in terms of you know gauging through Twitter, gauging through you know um, other blogs and other people who are writing, um, both on a national level and you know the local level in Indy, it's pretty split. You got one group that's um, they're pretty optimistic that the reuniting with Frank Reich is going to help that, you know, a better offensive line, better run game is going to help, um, you know, him kind of leaving that scene in Philly where, you know, it's a very tough place to play in Philly. If, you know, Philly's it, it just toxic. shows how it's like, sorry, Philly. Yeah. People. I mean, you're, you're a toxic but, city in terms but it's of true. You know, the fan base, it just, <laughs> it just shows that, you know, they, you know, when Wentz shows what he can do in 2017, 2018, he can be, you know, a top 10 quarterback. And then so quickly to see it 
decline, you know, they, they turned on him pretty quickly. And, you know, I understand it's frustrating. You know, he's a, he's a number two overall pick. You expect him to be the franchise guys. You expect him to be a top 10 guy for 10 years, 15 years. So I understand the frustration, but for him just to be able to kind of get away from that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know if this is the right word, but the volatile scene in terms of like, you know, the highs and lows in Philly to kind of go to a place in Indy where, where, you know, the market's not as big. They've had success with quarterbacks in the past. So the expectations are high. So you have, you have that group that's kind of, um, you know, they're optimistic. You have another group that's saying, well, 2020 was like a historically bad season. Um, I think, uh, I think it was Doug Farrar, uh, our, one of our great writers over at touchdown wire um, during the, I think it was during December when he got benched for Jalen Hurts, wrote an article just about how bad the 2020 season was for Carson Wentz. It was like, it was something like, I don't know the exact stat, but no like starter has seen his passer rating drop more than, you know, from one season to the next, more than Carson Wentz's did. It dropped like 30 something points. So, you know, I, I kind of take the, the more optimistic route. I'm a little cautious just because the 2020 season was so bad. But in terms of what Wentz needs to do to, I, I don't, I'm not a guy that's going to sit here and say that he can necessarily get back to 2017, that MVP season. I think everything went right for him that year. And then I think if he can get to that 2018 season, I think it was, he was like 13th in DVOA among quarterbacks. If he can get there, which I think is possible, that's going to be a huge win for the Colts. That's going to make the trade worth it. You know, they give up a, a third rounder this year in 2021 and a conditional second that's going to be a first because all he has to do is, play 75% of the snaps or 70% of the snaps and they make the playoffs. If one of those two things happens, goes from a second rounder to the first rounder for the Eagles. So when you talk about what he needs to do mechanically, his mechanics really failed him the last three seasons in Philly. Um, the environment was tough in Philly. And then when you talk about just the kind of group they have around, you know, the character of the locker room, which is something that they've been focusing very, very, uh, you know, big on, when Chris Ballard took over, you know, I think it's going to be a better fit for him. So I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket. I'm not saying he's going to come back and, and automatically be this top 10 quarterback, but uh, I do probably share a little more optimism in that if he can fix what he needs to fix with his game, with his mechanics. And then you combine that with Frank Reich as the play caller, the offensive line they have there and the running game. And like you said earlier with Phillip rivers, a good defense goes a long way. The Colts have a pretty good defense. They have the chance to be even better if they can get their pass rush going. So I'm a little bit more optimistic, but at the same time, I do, you know, I do have my concerns. He doesn't have to be great, but if he is an above average quarterback, the situation that they have there is one where they can be a postseason team, compete for the, the AFC South title. Obviously, the, the defensively, the, they kind of need to be good defensively and be all right offensively in a, in a division that's got – the, the, the Titans, who who edged out, edged out, didn't they edge out the Colts by tiebreak? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they had the same record, and uh, they they had the tiebreaker. So yeah, so beyond Carson Wentz, who are the notable losses and additions in free agency that will either impact um, negatively because of their loss, and and then will be notable additions this year? Yeah, so the the, the biggest loss. I guess you could say Philip Rivers is obviously a big one. We covered that when he retired. Um, losing Anthony Costanzo, their left tackle, he also retired. That was a big loss. Um, 
you know, he spent 10 years as a left tackle. He's been extremely consistent over the last few years working with Frank Reich and the offensive line coaches there. Um, that's a big loss. They, uh, you know, losing your, your longtime left tackle, it's never easy to replace. And then another guy that they lost in free agency who actually signed with the Titans uh, in division is uh, Danico Autry. He's a versatile defensive end, defensive tackle, um, really good against the run, kind of a power rusher. Uh, is a, he, you know, he's able to, to pressure the quarterback at a pretty consistent rate. So to lose those three, were, that was that was pretty big. So, um, you know, they also lost Justin Houston, uh, who's, I think, still a free agent. I don't think he's signed yet. I think he's had a visit with the Ravens. But um, Justin Houston was a good defensive end. He, he was better in 2019, his first season. Last year, he was a little bit more inconsistent. So, um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to get the level of consistency they got in Costanzo and Autry, but um, some of the additions that they brought in will be will be pretty good. Or and hopefully, that's that's. And, the, and who that's are those? Optimistic. Who are those free agent additions that they so, made? At left tackle, um, they brought in Eric Fisher, the former Chiefs uh, left tackle. So that's that's like a uh, you know. A lot of people are optimistic because it's not like Eric Fisher was not playing well. That's not, I don't think that's why he got cut. I think he got cut because one, he tore his Achilles in January in the uh, AFC championship game. And two, I think his contract was pretty big with the chiefs. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, So when you look at really the hope is he's just not too hampered by the Achilles. Um, So if you can get Eric Fisher, because he was a pro bowler in 2020, if you can get him back to all he needs to do is be an above average left tackle. I mean, really all he needs to be is an average left tackle and the rest of the offensive line and the way they use their blocking schemes with their tight ends, they're going to, they would be able to uh, work around an average tight end, but or offensive tackle, sorry. Um, but if you can get, you know, Eric Fisher level play, it's going to be great. You know, the offensive line is going to be elite again. So, you know, they signed him to a pretty cheap deal. It's a one-year deal. And then um, to replace Danico Autry, to replace, Justin Houston, they drafted Quiddy Pay out of Michigan with the number 21 overall pick. They're very excited about him. They He's going to be, in my opinion, a guy that's going to come in right away. He's going to be a, he can be a three down pass rusher. He can set the edge against the run. He's the hope is he's the guy. He's the next cornerstone defensive end for the Colts and can be the guy to, you know, really be that difference maker because that's been their biggest issue on the defensive side of the ball. They have a really good interior, you know, with uh, all pro DeForest Buckner. And Grover Stewart's one of the most underrated uh, nose tackles in the game. So when you have the interior set, it's pretty good. The edge wasn't as consistent. It wasn't as good. So you bring in Quiddy Pay. Hopefully he can be the guy. And they also drafted a guy, uh, Dio, Ode- Dio Odeingbo. I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, out of Vandy. So they, they looked at him. He's another edge rusher. They looked at him as a first-round pick. But then he also tore his Achilles in January when he was training for the uh, for the Senior Bowl, so that that dropped his stock a little bit. The Colts got crushed a little bit, you know, in the in the post draft process because they spent a second round pick on a guy that's probably going to play half the season. But they they might be more excited about Dio than they are Quiddy Pay. They see him holding like a Justin Tuck kind of role where he works on the edge, works on the interior. Uh, he's an explosive guy. He's a lengthy guy. I mean, he's just He's a freak. So those are that's if they can get those two guys going on the edge on the defensive line, that's going to boost the defense. I mean, they could be they could be top eight, top five if if that pass rush is getting going. So those are those are the big additions um, that they made to 
th those would probably be the most impactful um, additions that they made. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web, we continue the conversation with, with Colts Wire Managing Editor Kevin Hickey. We go more into depth about the draft class and look ahead to the outlook of the Colts' 2021 season. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. And anyone else of note that, that was drafted? You, you mentioned Pay, you'd mentioned Udayo. What, is there anyone else who could have even a complementary impact this season? Yeah, uh, for me, that would be tight end Kylan Granson um, out of SMU. Really athletic guy, really uh, good after the catch, very reliable hands. Um, he's You have Jack Doyle there, who is the starter. He's going to work more in line. They'll put him in the slot a little bit, but he's not a dynamic pass catcher. He's a guy that's going to he's going to make some subtle moves, find the hole in the zone, sit, and catch the ball in short area. Um, Mo Alley Cox is still kind of a project. He's a massive human being. I mean, he's like I think he's like six six, two seventy. Was a former wow. VCU basketball star. I mean, the dude moves. He's he, he's he's hard to bring down, and he's got he's I think he actually has the biggest hands in the NFL. I think that's still the case. Oh man. So, but he's uh, he's still a project. You know, he's they're still trying to get him going as a route runner. He's a great blocker, but um, they're trying to get him to have a little more nuance with his route running. So you bring in Kylan Grants, and he's going to try to fill that Trey Burton role, that move tight end role, put him outside, put him in the slot, really make an impact in the passing game. And, you know, he's he's probably going to play a little more H-back because he's a little bit smaller. I think he's like 6'1". Um, but he would be the guy that, uh, that I think has the most impact in terms of, you know, the other draft picks outside of Quiddy Pay and Dio Day. Odeyingbo. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on it. That's a, and that, that that's a name I don't remember in all the draft stuff that we did uh, on the podcast leading up to it. But looking ahead now to the 2021 season, what is what are what's the outlook that you have for the team? What are reasonable expectations, kind of floor and ceiling for what you see them accomplishing this year? Yeah, so I think they have a pretty high floor. I think in terms of what they have already on the roster, you have a pretty good front seven that's gonna it's gonna generate enough pressure on the quarterback. It's just how consistent can they be? The secondary, the cornerback room has, you know, Xavier Rhodes had a good season last year, had a good bounce back season. Kenny Morse, arguably the best slot cornerback in the NFL, depending on who you ask. Um, outside of that, the secondary in the, in the cornerback room, there's question marks. So that's going to be their big, you know, can, can the secondary really step up? They got a good pair of young safeties in Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. So, Really, the cornerback room is going to make a huge difference, and the edge rush is going to make a big difference as well. If the edge rush hits and they can be consistent, I think the defense is good enough to keep them in games and even dominate games against bad offenses. So the floor is pretty high. I would say there, I mean, even if Carson Wentz really doesn't bounce back to the level that they hope, I still think they're a second place team in the division. I don't think the Jaguars are there yet. I think their future's bright, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence. Um, the Texans, they got a whole mess going on with Deshaun Watson. And even without, even with Deshaun Watson, that roster is just, it's awful. So I think the floor is pretty high. I think they'll win enough games to be relevant. And then you talk about their ceiling. If Wentz hits, and, you know, say, say he's a top 12 guy. And, you know, the pass rush really does come along and, third-year corner, Rocky, Rocky is saying he's a former second-round pick. He's had kind of an up-and-down career. If all those things happen, I think – I mean, they could make they could easily make a run at the, at the division. 
you know, the Titans, it's going to be tough because they just added Julio Jones, but they're going to have a chance to win the division if, if all goes right. And even then, you know, they show that they can stay with a team like the bills in the playoffs, but you know, it's all going to come down to Wentz. And if he hits, I think they're a playoff team, a pretty, a pretty easy playoff team. Um, just because, you know, the foundation of their defense, the foundation of their offense and what they want to do. I feel like th- their floor is high enough to where all they need to do is really get the quarterback going. If they get that, they're a playoff team. And, you know, I, I still probably wouldn't say they're better than the Chiefs just because Patrick Mahomes is such a trump card. But, um, you yeah, know, I think they could. They'd be a tier just below, perhaps, like basically say. just yeah. just below like Kansas City, Buffalo, what they're expected to exactly. be. That's exactly where I would put them. And they probably, you know, maybe you put Cleveland in that tier with them. So um, with the Colts, not with the not with the Chiefs and the Bills. Um, but yeah, so I, I think you're talking, you know, they get to the divisional round. Maybe they get they squeak a win and get to the championship game, but uh, they need everything to go right for that to happen. <laughs> to me, they, they they're they're somewhere between um, a nine win team floor type thing, yep. where they're they're probably in the mix for the wild card, unless it's like last year where you win eleven games and you still miss the playoffs, like Miami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Oh, and could be even as good as maybe 12, 13 wins, uh, depending on how yeah, they end up. Yeah, I think that's kind of – I because, you know, we all did the the uh, project the predictions, the uh, record predictions, which is, you know, we know it's kind it's of – you know, We have no idea what's going to happen, you know, but, we you know, we got to get content out. So I think I had them – you know, I think I, ha- I, I did a little cop out and went like 10 and 7. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that's probably – that's probably like the most realistic – um, outcome for them in 2021. And, and looking ahead, when uh, both the Cardinals and the Colts, the Colts obviously have the edge that they were a little bit better last year, top 10 in both offense and defense. The Cardinals are are kind of on that same level. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really, I, that could, that will be a key matchup for both teams down the stretch. Now, oh, granted, yeah. granted, being interconference, it likely won't, it's, it doesn't make a difference for tiebreakers. But mm-hmm. it does, it is a measuring stick late in the year, you know, with two, you know, because it'll be week 16, it'll be two weeks left in the season as to where they are as a team. So how yeah. that game goes one way or the other probably has an impact on whether they're playoff bound or not, which, which I, I yeah, think absolutely. they're both, both pretty evenly matched. I, I think that the Cardinals obviously right now have an, an obvious edge at quarterback unless Carson... Yeah. Um, is at the level he was at, which is hard. To, un, it's it's unreal to expect him to you, be that. You can't again. really, you can't project that. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's, well, it's like you can't. I think just... the same thing with the Cardinals. So if I'm looking at the NFC West, like as yeah. much as I think the Cardinals can win the division, I'm not going to project they will win the division because basically everything yeah. has to go well. And you look at the Rams, who were great right. last year and improved at quarterback. The Seahawks still have Russell mm-hmm. Wilson. The 49ers were a Super Bowl team uh, until they had injuries, and they basically have as talented a roster, and if they're health, they're good. So, yeah. you know, if you look at odds, the Cardinals are still the most unlikely to win the division. They could do it, and so I still predict them to be a 10-7 and 7 team that squeaks yeah. in, that makes the, makes the wild card, yeah. and hopefully hopefully has basically has a Colts-type year. Obviously, I want them to go all the way, and I think if everything goes well, yeah, they can but I, I think if they follow the the arc that the Browns did, where they went from they missed the play, to being good, better, make the playoffs, and even steal a win in the postseason, is kind of what I'm expecting. Yeah. And that's probably 
kind of what the hope is for the Colts only. Yeah. Like how, how, how many years does, does Carson have left on his deal? Well, so technically, I think it's he still technically has four years. But um, but because I'm you traded for pretty sure the guarantee, the guaranteed money, I think, stops after 2022. So the way we're all kind of looking at it is it's like this is a two year experience experiment. You know, can they get him back to what they want to get him to? Can they get him back to that level? If they can't, you can cut him or trade him, whatever, after 2022. And it's not a huge dead cap hit. So, you know, the next two years are going to be expensive, but. If he's the guy that you think he is, and but so is at this Rivers. point, I think, <laughs> right. So, and and the way you know, at least the way I look at it, I know a couple of the other writers, you know, in the uh, the indie sphere, you know, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, they've kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. So at this at this point, we have to kind of take it for what it is. Sure, there are question marks, big question marks, um, but we kind of have to just wait and see how this works out. And if it doesn't pan out, then you kind of you know you 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 go back to square one, and try to find your guy. So. I know there are a couple people who, uh, you know, they're kind of, uh, they want after seeing Justin Fields fall, because that was the whole, before the Carson Wentz trade, it was all trade up for a quarterback, trade up for a quarterback. And, you know, at 21, it's hard to do, especially after the 49ers gave up, I think what it was like three first round picks for the number three overall. So you're like, okay, maybe you can trade up to seven, you know, with the Lions. And then they see Justin Fields fall. This is after the whole Carson Wentz thing. And I think the, the bears gave up something like they gave up a first round pick this year, first round pick next year and like a fourth and a sixth. Well, and then the number of like the other factor is the fact that the Colts were picking so low that a team's team picking that high. doesn't want to drop that far. Even if they're getting more picks down the road, that's just too far to fall in a draft where they're, where the top end talent kind of stopped fairly early. It's yeah. it, It kind of fell off. Yeah. So that was kind of the whole, like, you know, you got some people saying we need to trade up, we need to trade up, and then you're like, like "Good luck, cool, have to find someone to yeah. trade up." Like with. people, nobody, nobody's gonna want to <laughs> fall from seven to twenty-one. It's just not; to... they're not gonna do it. Yeah, only the and only... it's all gonna be future picks. Yeah, and only the Cardinals do stuff like that. Way back in, I think it was '03, <laughs> when they had Terrell yeah. Suggs on the board and decided to trade down, but they traded down because um, Baltimore had two first-round picks that year, and they had consecutive yeah. picks, and so instead of getting T sizzle the cardinals ended up with calvin pace and brian johnson (laughs) yeah yeah not great not great so is i mean you you've seen you've seen the Colts have dark days you've seen them oh yeah i've seen them i've seen them as well but kevin thanks so much for your time that's kevin hickey from coltswire.com if you especially as we lead up to to week 16 you can catch all of his great content on our nfl wire network at coltswire.com thanks as always coming up next on the rise of sea red podcast the best of cardinals talk on the web we have our last preview which is against the dallas cowboys that's coming up next on rise of sea red we're back on the rise of sea red podcast the best hour of cardinals talk on the web and our next opponent on the schedule is nearly at the end of the season as we will head to Big D in Dallas back to AT&T Stadium to take on the Dallas Cowboys it, and for the second year in a row to help us talk about the Cowboys, to give us a preview of what last season and the offseason has brought. For the second year in a row, brought Katie Drummond from CowboysWire.com to tell us all about his Cowboys. Katie, how you been? I'm doing good, Jess. As, as good as can be expected uh, covering a team that is, it was kind of low profile, you know, after the first throws of free agency, uh, the Cowboys have been very low profile 
following back-to-back seasons outside of the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, expectations are still high. They'll always be high in Dallas. But the national expectations for Dallas, a lot of people say, yeah, they're going to win the NFC East. But not a lot of people have confidence in them to be Super Bowl contenders. I actually saw somebody say they would be a surprise pick as a, you know, as a championship contender. And that's never with the Cowboys. It doesn't matter how bad the Cowboys are. <laughs> Everybody picks us to do something at some point, uh, despite our last 25 years. So it, it, it's an interesting offseason, but it's low key compared to where we've been in the past. So let's take us take us back to the 2020 season. Obviously, it was a season yeah. um, that was marred by injuries. You walked it, I believe, when we talked, when you talked on this show a year ago, we were thinking potentially a top team in the NFC, the, uh, the offense that was rolling, the defense improved, maybe winning 11 to 13 games, rolling through the NFC East, and then injuries on the offensive line, Dak Prescott. Tell us of the highs, any highs there were, and obviously the disappointments that happened from the 2020 season. Um, let's see, highs. Okay, let's see low. So let's talk about the lows. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there was really not much that we took out of the 2020 season that we walked away from feeling excited. Um, let me set the stage. January comes around. January of um, 2020 comes around. Fire Jason Garrett. Tenure, tenure is over. Um, bring in Mike McCarthy. I have, I had high hopes for Mike McCarthy and his tenure when we were doing the evaluation throughout the last part of last season, Mike McCarthy was my leading candidate to be the head coach of the Cowboys. So personally, I was ecstatic because, you know, we we have skins in the game when we predict something. You know, we are fans. We aren't, you know, the old school media where we pretend like we don't have any allegiance to the team that we cover. We don't have to pretend that anymore. <laughs> we, I root for the Cowboys. Exactly, so exactly. When something, when something that, I, that I want to happen happens, I get to cheer for them. Even though I try to keep my my articles unbiased, I still get to personally cheer for the move. So they hired Mike McCarthy. I thought everything was going to go great. And then Mike McCarthy hired Mike Nolan to run the defense. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of Mike Nolan. Never have been. Have no idea how he keeps resurfacing as a defensive coordinator in the league. But somehow Mike McCarthy hired him, and it went according to my fears. It was an abject disaster. Compounded with the hirings, we had the pandemic, which new coaching staff, new regime, no practices, everything virtual for the installations. And Mike Nolan decided that he was going to force feed a change to the way the Cowboys play defense. The Cowboys have been a 40 front basically since uh, Wade Phillips left. Uh, we had a couple years with Rob Ryan, uh, but since that point, we've been a 4-3 defense since, Rod, uh, since Monty Kiffin and Rob Marinelli came aboard. And Mike Nolan was going to shift to a hybrid front with a base 30 front defense. And he wanted Demarcus Lawrence, our best defensive player to play standing up, which he had never done before. So long story short, the defense was an abject failure. People revolted. There was uh, a bunch of talk in the season about these coaches don't know what they're doing. They hired a coach, uh, Mo Linguist, straight from Texas A&M, never coached any pros before. It was just a ridiculous catastrophe of a defense. The Cowboys ended up being 31st in the league against the run, not much better against the pass, a lot of points given up. It was just a tremendous failure on the defensive side. And then on offense, we had all the injuries. We started off with Lael Collins in the offseason, uh, hip injury. He showed up to camp out of shape. It turns out he had an accident. He had uh, hip surgery in the, in the offseason. Um, then we lost Teron Smith after two games. And, of course, we lost uh, Blake Jarwin, our starting tight end in game in week one. And then we lost Dak Prescott in week five. So I don't care how much you love or hate the Cowboys, and I know how many people hate the Cowboys. <laughs> Any football fan will admit that if the core strength of your team loses 
two people from the offensive line, your tight end, and your starting quarterback, your offense probably going to be the same. And then when you have a defense that was just in such disarray because of Mike Nolan, you could easily see why the Cowboys ended up at six and 10. Now in the grand scheme of things, is that excuse making? Sure, it might be. But the reality of the situation is those are difficulties that most teams aren't going to be able to overcome. Most teams that lose a starting quarterback, unless you have the young guy in the pipeline, like you're, you're preparing to make the transition and you have a young guy that's ready to take the reins, most teams that go to a backup quarterback are not going to be able to play at the same level. And when Andy Dalton came in against the backdrop of the pandemic, where because everything was so shrunken, there were no preseason games, training camp was shrunken, there were no OTAs and all of that stuff, the on-field implementation, Dak Prescott then had to take pretty much primarily all of the reps. So we have a backup quarterback who's never been in the system before that can't get any practice. And when he came into the game in week five, and then of course the next game against the Cardinals in week six, it was just a catastrophe beyond belief. So Andy Dalton struggled, and then he got hurt because he got hit with a cheap shot, got a concussion. So we turned to our seventh-round pick, who was honestly a pick for the Cowboys. It was like a, a, a doing a, a friend a favor. Ben DiNucci was coached by Mike McCarthy's brother in junior high. So he drafted him in the seventh round. And this <laughs> and dude seventh is starting from the seventh round pick. They're almost all throwaway picks anyway. A quarterback taken that late – is just a guy say, we'll see. <laughs> right. So he ends up coming in playing one of the worst games in the history of history. Like I've never really, I've never seen anybody in a professional uniform play that badly. And then we shift to Garrett Gilbert, who was a throwaway. We plucked him off of Cleveland Browns practice squad and he played outstanding. He played ridiculously well, almost beat the Steelers, came down to a final throw on fourth down where the Steelers were undefeated at the time, like 9-0, and and he almost beat the Steelers. And Andy Dalton gets healthy, and we go back to Andy Dalton. So I'm like, at this point, I just I believe they're throwing the season. They're trying to get a, bad, a, a better draft pick because it made no sense after which you saw of Andy Dalton to go back to him. So that was really the storyline of the season was losing Dak. We were struggling before then. The defense was just a hideous, a hideous shell of itself throughout the first games. We had the the – Every single game, the Cowboys were down by double digits, sometimes 21 points, and they ended up having uh, monumental comebacks in a couple of the games, but more or less, they just, they weren't, it, it wasn't all there for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott was on pace to throw for like 6,900 yards. Uh, I mean, we were just throwing every single opportunity because we were down by so much. So everything went wrong, and then the injury to Dak Prescott happened, and we just threw away the season at that point. Um, and then, of course, we win a couple games at the end because the NFC East is so bad and we still kept fighting because you still have to fight. You have to tell your troops that they have to fight every week. The division was within reach. So we actually won games near the end of the season until Andy Dalton turned into Andy Dalton in clutch time again. And there was a week 16 game or yeah, week 16 game that we ended up um, being knocked out of the playoffs. And we ended up with the number 10 overall pick, a couple teams that were ahead of us. We ended up getting uh, just kind of screwed in the draft when the two quarterbacks came off the board before the Cowboys pick. So everything just cascaded. We won games when we shouldn't have, put ourselves in a bad position for the draft, didn't get the cornerback that we don't so desperately need, ended up drafting a linebacker, the most, the least important position on the defense. And here we are trying to spin it forward and say that we're going to be great in 2021. But at least coming into this year, you will have Dak Prescott back. With, and and it was it for a couple of reasons. You know, he didn't get the long-term deal beforehand, and so he was, you know, quote-unquote, betting on himself. Yep. 
only to then have his season lost to not just an a gruesome and a gruesome yeah. injury that yeah. was awful now he's back um we've seen players come back from injuries like that um but it, it also showed the value of Dak to this team whereas yep. that i know i know that whether it's local or national there was always a question just how good is Dak how much how much of his success is him or is it the situation around him and i think there's undoubtedly yes every quarterback is is aided by talent around them yeah but Dak is as good as any great quarterback in the league right now yeah, I, I think that was proven, and it's, and it's so ironic that Dak Prescott's best case made for his monumental contract was made with him not on the field. <laughs> I mean, when you saw what everybody else did in the offense compared to what he was doing, it was night and day. I mean, you're talking about like 16, 17 points a game difference with him compared to everybody else. Um, it, was, it, it was just night and day, the difference in how the offense functioned when Dak was on the field and when he wasn't. So they made the case for him. And they showed that they had no chance at being a competitive team without him. So unless you were going to go into this draft and select a quarterback uh, based on, you know, who, who was available and it was, you know, a fairly deep quarterback class this year. So they could have gone that route if they wanted to and just hit the reset button. But Jerry Jones is not a spring chicken and I don't blame him for wanting to try to see another championship in his lifetime. He did not want to hit the reset button. So the only option for them was to pay Dak Prescott market value which was make him the second highest paid quarterback by Patrick Mahomes. And in the early parts of this contract, he is the highest paid person as far as average over the first couple of years of the contract. Much well-deserved. Everybody that follows the salary cap knows that it's not about whether or not you're the best quarterback to get the best contract. It's whether or not you're one of the best quarterbacks when your contract is due. Correct. So the next quarterbacks are going to beat Dak. And that's just going to ha- how it's going to be. <laughs> so in two, three years, he'll be down to number eight. And, you know, if you want to argue he's somewhere between quarterback number four and number eight, as far as best quarterbacks in the league, that's a fair argument. I'm not going to pick nits over it. You know, um, he's somewhere in that range. I'll put him clearly behind Patrick Mahomes. I'll make an argument that he's up there with the Russell Wilsons and the Josh Allens and uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. I'd probably put Aaron Rodgers up there. Number two, I don't qualify Tom Brady because there's something just, he's a robot. He, he's a, he, he's, he's, <laughs> You say robot, I say he's an MCU character. I think at the end of the day, we're going to reveal that Tom Brady has an infinity stone. He he has some kind of source of supreme magic. He's going to play until he's 75 years old, and he's probably going to win half of the championship. Slowly, quietly, they've been replacing body parts with with semi-organic pieces. <laughs> he, is, he, he is the male version of Nebula. <laughs> yes. They just piece him together and Thanos does, you know, he's dedicated to the to the, uh, to the the methodology of Thanos. That's what Tom Brady is. So that, that's his new nickname. He's Nebula. He's male Nebula. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm so tired of that dude. <laughs> I'm so tired. He's so good, man. <laughs> it is, and, but, and then you, you watch him play and you see the tape and you're like, nope, he doesn't have it anymore. And yep. then you look at the you look at the numbers he's had all year. You look at the big throws. It's like every time that he looks like, yeah, he's washed. Then he comes back and he wins another Super Bowl. Dude, it's it's within games. Right. You look at him in the first half, and you're like, oh, this is the end of Tom Brady. And then he throws a four touchdowns in the second half, and you're like, damn it, he's still here. <laughs> I'm, I'm so it's, tired of him. <laughs> it's honestly, as I've been older, I appreciate it much yes. more. I appreciate yes. it much more 100%. because. 
I am I am seeing something that probably no other generation is going to see. And even at like right. as good as Patrick Mahomes appears to be, to be able to do what Brady has done for so long is going to be nearly impossible, especially yep. the way the league is designed and, you know, <laughs> like they had that cuz Andy Reid's probably not going to coach forever. Um, right. We we saw just the last year when he doesn't quite have everything uh if his offensive line is not right. up to snuff what happens yeah so let's move on to to the offseason obviously Dak is back big yes. contract in free agency who are the notable additions and who are the notable subtractions from this year once again the Cowboys West on free agency <clears throat> they just don't care they, they they have no interest in going out and signing guys um the salary cap was obviously a, an impediment for a lot of teams around the league because we had the reduction in the salary cap ceiling based on the pandemic and the loss of res revenue around the league. Uh, so the salary cap decreased. The Cowboys had a lot of decisions that they had to make. They could have kicked can and pushed money into the future. If they wanted to sign some guys, they had a little bit of flexibility, but they really chose not to. So they made minor additions. They brought in Brett Urban, who was a defensive lineman coming out of Chicago. He is a run-stuffing savant. For what it's worth, the Cowboys were horrible at stopping the run, so they decided to remake the defensive line uh, with him. They brought in him. They brought in Terrell Basham, uh, Ed Rusher, who was very good against the run, coming out of New, uh, the New York Jets. I almost called them New Jersey Jets. Um, <laughs> so come, coming, coming, coming out of New York. So they made those additions. They also got uh, Carlos Watkins out of Houston, so they signed him. Uh, but the two biggest signings <clears throat> that were noteworthy were they brought in Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator, and he brought with him Keanu Neal and DeMonte Kazee. Now, that was his safety tandem on a team that didn't really play very good pass defense. So a lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows on whether or not that's going to be something that's going to help. But he has transitioned Keanu Neal to linebacker because I said it myself. When the rumor started that Keanu Neal was coming in, I was like, why? He can't cover. The dude cannot cover. He might have got some interceptions early in his career, but when you look at him on film, especially coming off the Achilles injury, he's not the guy that you want chasing wide receivers down the field. He can do some work uh, against tight ends. He can do some works against, you know, running backs on wheel routes, those sorts of cover issues, uh, cover situations, but you don't want him having to take a wide receiver down the field. So they're transitioning him to play weak side linebacker and kind of be that dime defender uh, where you can take on that role and just strictly focus on the running backs and tight ends. I'm cool with it. I'm actually ecstatic about that because we had such bad linebacker play last year. From there, signing DeMonte Kazee. Interesting signing. We know that he has he is an interception magnet, but he had an Achilles injury in October of last year. So what are you going to get back with him? All reports are that he looks like he never had an injury, but this is OTAs. You're not really that turning and burning. Nope. <laughs> so all the, and, and and this is one thing that Cowboys fans and the media, and when I say media, I still include, I, I include bloggers, you know, and I'm pointing to myself for those that are listening. I'm pointing to myself right now. Um, <laughs> that a lot of times our, our profession kind of gets lost in the sauce of the emotions of it. Yes, this signing is great if everything about this player is the perfect version of this player. But you rarely get the perfect version of that player in free agency. I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. The teams, unless there's mitigating circumstances, a team that knows a player going into free agency 
probably is making the correct decision and letting them walk. If they decide that this guy is not going to be a focus. Now you have situations where a guy, you know, wants more for his contract. Um, you know, he just, he's a, he's a malcontent when it comes to the coaching staff that's on hand. But if a guy comes to you in free agency cheap from a team that could have probably signed him for just as cheap, nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, you're not going to get the perfect version of that player. You could luck out and, you know, that guy comes and he's everything you want him to be. But these cheap, take a you know, low risk, high reward type of signings are normally low risk, low reward type of signings. So I don't really look for that to be the Cowboys long term solution at free safety. I'm hopeful that I'm proven wrong, but I just can't be enthusiastic about a guy coming off an Achilles to be the solution to playing center field on a defense that's as poor as the Cowboys are. So I'm very interested to see what some of these younger guys can do. But as far as free agency, that's really where the Cowboys made their noise. They didn't even touch the offense for the, for the most part. They were like, run it back. Everybody was in there, just run it back. Get everybody in here healthy. Get the uh, the offensive tackles healthy. Get the tight end back in here healthy. Get the quarterback back in here healthy. We're good on offense. We can put up 40 burgers on pretty much any defense if our offense is healthy. Just improve the defense somewhat. And I think they're in a position to because Mike Nolan was so bad. Like he was just such a bad coordinator that I think just just subtraction, addition by subtraction, and then the addition that you actually made adding Dan Quinn, who's coordinated Super Bowl defenses, because he, he went back to back in Seattle, won one, lost one. He took Atlanta to the Super Bowl as a head coach. And even though he wasn't calling the plays, he still helped design that defense. So he is somebody that knows what it takes to get to the championship game. Bringing him in to run the defense when you have Mike McCarthy as a walk around coach, I think is tremendous. So they made those small free agency additions. We'll see how they fit with the personnel that was there and just the improvement of getting Mike Nolan out of the building, there's hope that we can be a 15 to 20 defense. And with the offense the Cowboys have, that's good enough to get hot at the end of the year and then possibly make some noise. That actually sounds very familiar to what happened with the Cardinals between 2019 and 2020 when they had an atrocious defense uh, where they were 31st or 32nd, almost every passing defense category. They allowed an opposing passer rating of 109 on the season, uh, like 30, 30 touchdown passes. I think only like 11 interceptions, like Mm. the average quarterback against the Cardinals in 2019 was on pace for the hall of fame, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but yeah. And when they went from that to, um, a middling defense, middle to above average defense. They were rolling last year until the offense yeah. fell apart. Coming up next on the Rise Up Secret Podcast, the best era of Cardinals talk on the web, we continue the conversation with Cowboys Wire's KD Drummond and talk about the Dallas Cowboys, the Cardinals' Week 17 opponent on the road. We take a look at their draft class and the outlook to the upcoming season. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. Now, uh, we're looking here at the draft for the Cowboys, and defense was, again, the focus. It looks like the first six picks were all on the defensive side of the ball. And I actually, like, your top three picks, I know that it doesn't sound like you're in love with with the Micah Parks pick. It it looks like their linebacking core should improve. And I like Micah Parsons. I think Kelvin Joseph is going to be a sneaky, decent pick. And being a Pac-12 guy, I, I saw what Osa Odigizua did at UCLA. I think he will be a right. nice addition as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I was a lot more against the Michael Parsons pick when it happened because I don't like linebackers. 
there's a movement in the NFL and NFL media that running backs don't matter. I'm team linebackers don't matter. I, I understand that. And the Cardinals use, <laughs> let me see. They've, this is now the fourth time in eight years that they used a first round pick attempting to play inside linebacker. Um, the first three of they moved their position to do it. And so, yeah. So <laughs> the Cowboys are in that same boat. We drafted Leighton Vanderesh first round in 2018. We drafted an injured Jalen Smith to redshirt his rookie season in 2016. And then after three years, gave him a five-year extension, even though he can't cover and he can't follow directions, <laughs> they repaid him. So we're actually in a position where after they paid him going into 2019, there was a lot of talk about releasing Jalen Smith. Um, they kept him. They probably shouldn't have because the draft worked out for them. And he could be somebody that could be on the trading block in training camp. You, 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 I'm not saying at first amongst Cowboys Nation, but maybe across, um, you know, nationally, it hasn't picked up much steam. But if things work out with the linebackers that they did draft, Jalen Smith could be on the trading block. I would love for them personally to trade him to um, New England for Stephon Gilmore. Ooh. If Gilmore wants out, um, their salaries match. And you could, you could we potentially want make that deal. We want Gilmore. Want, we want Gilmore. Want, everybody, <laughs> everybody wants Gilmore. I don't, he, he is, um, yeah, everybody wants Gilmore. But, I mean, we're the Cowboys. So, you know, <laughs> we get to the top of the pecking order. We still have this belief that everybody in the league wants to come play for us. <laughs> so, we still have this facade. <laughs> and Jerry Jones believes it, so we try to believe it. Um, it's not the case anymore. Um, but yeah, so I was against a Parsons pick just because I don't believe linebackers matter. And the one thing that he didn't do well is the one thing that you need an NFL linebacker to do, and that's to cover. Like in, in today's day and age, a linebacker that can't cover can't stay on the field. So I've changed my mind on the Parsons pick because the things that he does well, it sounds like the coaching staff is committed to doing that. And Michael Parsons is an edge rusher in a linebacker's body. He played edge rusher as a high schooler. And so he has an array of pass rushing moves that if you use him in that capacity, you can keep him on the field and then bring in coverage linebackers to actually do linebacker things. So the flexibility of having somebody that can rush, who can move around, he has the athleticism to move him around the defense and kind of be that, uh, the star defender kind, kind of, not the star, because the star is more coverage, but just kind of um, the, the Leo package that uh, Dan Quinn used to run when he was with uh, Seattle and having him as that elephant guy, the fifth defensive lineman, so to speak, in, in the way that they do things, put him at the same linebacker and have him do like Bruce Irvin types things. Uh, these are the possibilities that you can do with Michael Parsons. So I've grown to the hope, the offseason hope that always has air quotes around it. I've, I've grown into the hope that if they use him correctly, it won't be a bad pick. Kelvin Joseph, I loved, but Kelvin Joseph, left LSU on bad terms and the insiders with the Cowboys, they say that when he sat out the last couple of games with Kentucky, that coaching staff wasn't sad to see him go either. That's so good. you have, to, hmm. he's really good. Yeah. Like that's, on film that's promising. <laughs> he's really, really yes, good. He is. He's but will he athletic, do a lot of things? I think he was probably um, the Virginia tech kid. Uh, Farley mm -hmm. was probably the most sound cornerback. Yes. Film wise but the back injury after him, I would probably put Joseph as the most technically sound and promising cornerback out of the group, even above the guys that got picked uh, eight, nine, um, you know, ahead of the, ahead of the Cowboys. So I like him, 
but he showed up to camp out of shape and then COVID. And at this point, to me, like catching COVID in spring and summer 2020, I don't blame you. This year, catching COVID now is on. kind of like, are you just not doing what you have to do after a year of knowing? I mean, I, I try not to blame people, but it's a, it's, it's, if you're coming to camp out of shape and catching COVID, that worries me about where your head is at about being prepared to be a professional. So long-term, is that a big deal? Might not be. As far as him being ready to contribute this year, does he need a year to learn the NFL game? Is he going to be one of those guys that never comes around? Some of those question marks that led him to drop into the second round are already showing their, their face in the offseason. And there's so much time to go. He could show up to camp in shape, ready to go. And all of this is a long forgotten portion of his career. But when you come in with a red flag, every single thing that kind of confirms that red flag is going to be magnified. So I have a star and asterisk next to the potential that I think he has. And I'm just kind of wary. Odigizua, love him. Chauncey Golston looks like a Demarcus Lawrence clone, Ooh. the kid out of Iowa. He he is a very exciting, do it all, not the uber athletic Gumby type of edge rusher, but he looks like he has some stuff. The surprise pick for the Cowboys was Deshaun Wright, the kid out of um, Oregon State. So he is a cornerback, and he is an intriguing possibility because he has the Richard Sherman body type, long, lengthy lanky and he just seems to have that fire and as a matter of fact he pissed off a lot of people because he said i'm a more athletic richard sherman first of all <laughs> you're not because you tested worse than richard sherman in, super, in everything but i love maybe the fact he's that talking he about that the way. current richard sherman yeah maybe yeah, after, the, after the achilles <laughs> you know after all the injuries every yeah maybe he's more athletic than the 34 year old 33 year old richard sherman maybe he's right there but so they cleared the air, they talked and he had his blessing and all that kind of stuff. But in OTAs, he was named the surprise player of the OTAs. He was, I mean, he was, he's playing opposite Trevon Diggs or second round pick from last year. And he looks like he has a shot to start ahead of Kelvin Joseph, as least as we go into training camp. Again, once training camp happens, we'll see what happens. Um, the next pick is the one that probably is most excited and most people playing as a pet cat, Jabril Cox, the coverage linebacker out of LSU. He is everything. He To me, he was a reason why picking Michael Parsons in the first round was just a dumb move <laughs> because you were able to get Jabril Cox in the fourth round and he could easily come in and be a starter because he is the coverage linebacker for today's NFL. He is. And, and it, there's one thing we've seen over the last few years is that linebackers out of LSU are good. There you go. There you go. And he was a transfer. So he just spent the one year at LSU. He came from um, North Dakota State and he was all um, and then he was just like, let me see if I could prove myself on a bigger stage. And then he went to LSU and did it. So I have no doubt that Jabril Cox, in my perfect world, the Cowboys are running three linebackers that are Parsons, Cox, and Neal. And you can, uh, they didn't put the fifth year option on Leighton Vander Esch. So he's probably not long for this team. He has injury histories, so on and so forth. You could trade Jalen Smith for either picks or a player. I, we, we just talked about Gilmore. And I could easily see them going into the season with Parsons, Neal, and um, Jabril Cox as being their primary linebacker solution. Even if it's not day one, maybe week five, maybe week eight, maybe week 10, we get to that point 
where those guys who have this innate ability to cover, because I complain all day long about Keanu Neal covering at the safety, but as a linebacker, give me that all day. So you put him and Cox together, I worry not about running backs and wheel routes and tight ends on seam routes. I worry not about any of those guys if those are my coverage linebackers. So there's a lot of hope there. There's hope in the sixth round pick, Israel uh, McQuamu, the cornerback out of South Carolina who can't turn. So they moved him to free safety. Beautiful. Put him in center field. He can't turn and run. Have him come downhill. Have him keep everything in front of him. And you could have a player that is an interception machine. So I, I see the chances. Also, uh, Quentin Bohana, the nose tackle, the big zero technique out of Kentucky. Big plug guy that goes along with Brent Urban to give yourself, to give the team a foundation in the middle of the defense. So they made additions that make perfect sense for what they're trying to do. <clears throat> it's about making it work now. So coming into the 2021 season, um, the outlook obviously much more well much more optimistic than where the season ended what are your expectations for the cowboys entering this year i feel like the cowboys are in the same scenario as the cardinals um well actually a little bit different because they're in a division where you feel like you should win it the cardinals are in a division where they should be we hope to be in the mix both teams have expectations for the postseason right yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. Um, the Cowboys open with the game, the kickoff game on Thursday night against the World Champs against Tampa Bay. Um, so hopefully we'll be competitive in the game. I think this team probably needs some time to gel on defense. So facing Tom Brady and then um, the kid um, for the Chargers, uh, Herbert, um, facing them back-to-back isn't exactly how I want to start the season. And both games are going to be on the road. It is what it is. Hopefully by that time, the defense can get some gelling together. Um, I'm myself, I, I, last year I wanted, I, I, I thought it was an 11 to 13 win team. I really had a lot of confidence in that team to overcome the defense. Um, the offense is that good, but they couldn't overcome the defense because if the offense started out slow, they were in such a hole. Um, Ezekiel Elliott tried to do too much. He had the worst fumbling year of his career. We haven't talked about him. He is in world-class shape like track athlete shape right now we haven't seen this Ezekiel Elliott since probably his next to last year at Ohio State like he's he's in better shape than he was when he came out of Ohio State right now so I know a lot of people are down on him running backs age horribly and all that kind of stuff nationally Ezekiel Elliott is ready for the season he heard everybody talking trash and he is I mean like I honestly I went back because when I saw the pictures of him in training, he would, you know, he would tweet out these little videos of him training. I'm like, man, Zeke looks really in shape. I went back to my catalog of pictures from draft time. He is in better shape than he was as a 18, 19 year old. Like, I mean, he is, he looks good. So I think the Cowboys offense is really ready to, if they, they cut down the turnover, they, uh, if they aren't forced to try to do too much, the offense is a offense can lead you to 12, 13 wins the defense is probably still going to be bad enough to lose two or three of those games for you uh, that you should have won. So I'll put them at nine to 11 wins, median 10. They should definitely win the division. Um, Washington's defense, it's it's basically going to come down to Dallas and Washington. As elite as Dallas's offense is, that's how elite Washington's defense is. So it's really going to come down to that battle and more so the battle of, okay, which opposing unit is able to rise with the tide is the Cowboys defense going to be able to be good enough that they don't handcuff their offense 
is the Washington offense going to be able to be good enough that they don't handicap the defensive efforts? The defense gets a turnover. The offense can't do anything with it. Go three and out. I can foresee that being something with Washington. Washington has weapons. They signed Curtis Samuel. They have Terry McLaurin, who for my money is a top 10 receiver already. They went on and they got Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick has never won. Like he, like he's never won. And for whatever reason, everywhere he goes, the other guy gets a chance. Like he, he never hold on to a job, no matter how much Fitz magic there is. That's because that Fitz magic is usually good for about three games. There you go. Three <laughs> games or three quarters. Something happens, but that guy is never able to last. So they're banking on that, on this being a season that he does more than what he's ever done before. I'm not holding my breath on it. I might have some hateration in my heart when it comes to that team, but I just, I can't see Washington's offense being able to hang with the Cowboys office on that level. So I'm picking them to do 10, maybe 11 wins and to win the NFC East. And then from there, it's all about, can you escape Aaron Rodgers until championship game type of situation? You know, well, well that's may- if he plays. And yeah, maybe Aaron <laughs> Rodgers gets sent to the AFC. <sighs> if they trade him to Denver, dude, if they trade him to Denver, and I mean that, I think that's what most people assume <laughs> if he gets traded, it's going to be to the Broncos. I, it just seems like a perfect fit, man. That'd be stupid. <laughs> it'll just i mean that'll be just it's aaron freaker i don't care look that dude is a diva worthy of a beauty pageant crown <laughs> i don't care it's aaron Rodgers, my you keep him happy you you have yeah. to because because yeah. the other option is jordan love whom they hid <laughs> listen like that that whole front office to me is just i i can't explain it i can't explain what the green bay front office has done over these last several years, but so they were lucky to have Aaron Rodgers when they did it to Brett Favre, right? Um, they don't have Aaron Rodgers behind Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I don't think they do. Maybe they think they do. Maybe they think they do with Jordan Love. I, I, I don't know. From from, I, I'm not a film evaluator when it comes to the collegiate guys. Um, so I, I just go off of what I hear. I've never heard anybody refer to Jordan Love as what we heard about Aaron Rodgers. Remember, Aaron Rodgers fell. He was projected to be a number one pick and fell in that draft because circumstances, whatever, people worried about his diva attitude, whatever you want to spin (laughs) it as now. But nobody said that about Jordan Love. You know what I'm saying? So people can surprise. Dak Prescott surprised. You just never know what you're going to get out of these guys. But that's a risk I wouldn't be willing to take, man. Not not with Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't try to piss him off. (laughs) That said, week 17, Cowboys, Cardinals, Yes, that should that game will matter for both teams most likely. I'm sure. And you know, I know we like in Phoenix. We know we don't get enough. We don't feel we get enough love in terms of primetime games. That is one with with the Kyler. Obviously, the last year of the Monday Night Football, they got that love. But right. Kyler and Dallas, Dallas. You know, you've got that that matchup. You've got two teams. And everyone wants to watch the Cowboys. That's what that's what ESPN thinks. And if the NFL thinks, everyone wants to watch Dallas on TV. So I'd love to see that fluxed to, to a yes. late game, even though it's not a division. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a noon game right now. Uh, noon, noon, noon central time for the Cowboys. Um, I'm interested in it. I mean, to tell you, <laughs> like, I would, I would want to see that on prime time, <laughs> but you just never know how they're going to shake these things out. Um, and that won't be, able to, yeah, that's January 2nd, 2022. So it we won't is. even see all in 2021. We got to wait until after the new year. We're going to have true. hangovers. <laughs> well, oh, man. I think we should be good then because it's it's the day after New Year's Day. So we yeah, will have already been able to. Have you seen the Dallas club scene? 
because I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, hangovers might still be in play. <laughs> All right. Katie, I appreciate the time. This is this has been an extra long edition of our opponent preview. That's Katie Drummond from Cowboy, CowboysWire.com. Definitely catch the content from there the week of the Cardinals-Cowboys game and keep up with it over the course of the season. There will likely be storylines that come out of there that matter to the Cardinals. Katie, appreciate your time as always. And that wraps up this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best air of Cardinals talk on the web. And we are done with all six of our opponent preview shows. We've previewed all 14 opponents. That means next week we are back on a regular schedule with Seth Cox joining me back on the line for our training camp preview. Thanks for listening as always. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.